فايز اعمل لك معايا سندوتش جبنه باندا ما يتقلهاش لا Andrea Smith. I'm one of the pastors here at West. And no, as you heard in the song, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time. However, we are in the middle of a message series called Get Naked. So we actually are talking about taking our clothes off. Uh, if you're worshiping with us for the first time, this is as unclad as I will get. But the whole point is to bring to your mind the idea that we should get naked with God. When we get naked with God, we peel away all the things that get in the way of us experiencing a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the divine. Over the thousands of years that religion has existed since the time of Christ, when Christ was here walking on earth among the people, since then, religion has made this relationship with God very difficult for us to, to live into. And it seems like the longer that time goes from the time of Christ till now, the more complicated it, get, it becomes. If you look at the life of Christ, you actually understand that what we are talking about right now and what I believe is a spiritual revolution that is happening in America, especially because America is where Christianity is on a decline, uh, there is this spiritual revolution that leading authors and theologians like Brian McLaren, who wrote the book Get Naked Spirituality that we're looking at this six weeks, uh, they are peeling away all the layers of religion and bringing us back to this authentic oneness with God. So when you think about, well, the crazy preacher wore a bathrobe for six weeks, it is my hope that in your mind you'll then think, why did she wear a bathrobe? She was talking about getting naked. Oh, okay, we're supposed to get naked with God. There are some words that we use in our conversations with God that help us do that. They're very simple words. We've been looking at these for about the past four weeks, so I want to give you a brief overview of those words. And then today, we're going to look at the word no, like say no to the panda. We can say no to God. And I think sometimes we, we don't understand that we can do that. You know, God, this supreme being, this divine, who are we, these little peons here on earth, to question God or to say no to God. And I hope by the end of the message today, you walk away with an understanding, a deeper understanding perhaps, of how we can be authentic in our pain with God, uh, because it's going to happen. This week, we're going to talk about the word no, and next week is Palm Sunday. That's the beginning of what we call Holy Week, when Jesus rode into 
into the city of Jerusalem prior to his death. And next week's word is why. So I'm just going to let you know on the front end today, there is very little that is funny about this message. It is not one that I like, you know, have on my short list of messages that I want to preach. There is no finite answer to what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about God and suffering. How can we have a good God and suffering and evil exist in this world? How can the stuff, the bad stuff that happens in our lives, children dying every four seconds of poverty, uh, accidents that happen, how can, how can lives that are taken so tragically, how can that happen and there be a God? So I go on and let you know now that I do not have an answer. I will say for the past 15 years, it's been one of the primary things that I've studied. There are seminary courses only on this topic. So I hope to be succinct today, and I hope that we walk away just with a deeper understanding. And I want you to know now, if you walk away with questions, first of all, please feel free anytime to email me about those questions, but it's okay. Know that it is okay to question and okay to have doubt, because if you have doubt, you do have faith. Now, when we first started this series about getting naked, we started with a very simple word called hear. Sometimes when we feel like we cannot connect with that presence of God, if we will just simply pause and say, here, God, here I am. And then if we'll pause, we'll find that we can feel or hear God in our midst. And then the next words were thanks and oh, like oh, the beauty of this, of this gorgeous earth that we live in, or oh, the beauty of the day. So those three words are like the initial words that we use to encounter God. And they are, are called a, a very, not a surface level faith, but a basic understanding. That's when we first fall in love with God and it's all good. You know, we, we love God and, and life seems to make sense and there's this divine being and everything is clipping along good. But then we find that, you know, things start to get in the way. And so words that help us when we find baggage in our spiritual lives are sorry, When we say the word sorry, we at least acknowledge that we've got some stuff going on in our own lives, and we all do. That's the beauty of being in this together. No one in this room is is better or worse, including me, than anyone else. We all have baggage. It's called sin. And sin is that which builds a wall between us and God. It's what separates us from loving from God and ourselves. So you have sorry. And then you have the word help. When we find ourselves in this place that we cannot connect with the divine, if we will just yell out, help, and then please, that urgency, that that please, God, please, can you hear me? Where are you? And then the third level of our spirituality when we are growing in this journey is when we come to this place that, so we've acknowledged that yes, there is a divine presence, here I am, God, but then bad things start happening. People in our lives die. We get diagnoses that don't make any sense. Relationships start falling apart. Our finances tank, and we don't know how we're going to be able to 
feed ourselves or our children or pay the bills. And we find ourselves in this, in this dark place of struggle. So then there are words that we can use to pray during that dark time that help us encounter God. And that's what last week, this week, and next week is all about. Last week, we talked about the word when. When, God, are you going to show up? God, I am tired of feeling all alone. When, when are you going to exercise your divinity? And when are you going to show me that, that you're real and that you exist? It is okay to cry out that word when. And so now today, we are going to work on the word and talk about the word no. What it means to say no is when anybody in your life has told you no, they don't want whatever it is that you're offering correct? We can say that to God. God, no. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going on here, but no, this is not acceptable for me right here, right now. Now, perhaps you've grown up in a faith tradition that saying no to God feels like blasphemy. I grew up in that. You didn't question everything happened for a reason, right? Have you ever heard that? Well, this summer in a message series, we're going to take just that statement and flesh that out. That's not really in the scriptures anywhere. But it is okay to cry out to God the word no. And I'm going to show you, I hope, today why. I want you to take a look on the screen at this picture. This is my daughter, Scott and my daughter. Um, if you look right here, this was like seven, eight years ago. She's tiny. And then this was taken back after Christmas when we went on a family vacation. Do you see the difference in, in her physical stature and how much she grew up? All right. A long period of time happened between said picture A and picture B. So now... Flash forward to yesterday in my life as a mother. I had the privilege, and I will say the word privilege because it should be a privilege, of going with her prom shoe shopping. Now, some of you, you're laughing. Good, I'm glad because that's about what the day was like. You know, at first I was like, oh, how sweet. She wants me to go with her to pick out shoes. And I had a wedding rehearsal in, in Cabarrus County, so I met her in Concord. And I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be this nice mother-daughter day. And she brought the young man that is going to be taking her to the prom. And so we were all on this quest for the perfect pair of shoes, which I want to let you know don't exist, by the way. Uh, but we did find a pair that would suffice. And we had finally, after this long period of time, left the shoe store. And I was walking behind them. And I heard Lane say to this young man, whom, let me remind you, I've never met before in my life. And I think she probably tells people my profession. So... The fact that she told this young man this about her father and I was not really thrilled about it. But I walked up to them and I heard her say, yes, they left me. They left me. They abandoned me in Times Square. And the young man just 
jerked his head and sort of looked at me. Now, that first picture that you see of Lane with her so small, that was on the actual trip. If you've heard me tell the story about leaving her before, hold on for just a second because it has a point. That's how little she was when we went to New York City at Christmas time. It always been a dream of mine, so we packed them all up. We went to New York City. Little did I know that everybody else in America had the same idea. And so Times Square was absolutely packed. It was like sardines. And so when we got off the subway and rode the escalator to the top and got out on the sidewalk, we were immediately all four separated from one another. Now, Lane was small in stature then, and we didn't have cell phones By the time I found Scott again and Andrew, we all realized that none of us had Lane. That was concerning to all of us. In fact, that that pit in our stomach was significant. I don't think we'll ever forget that feeling. We started yelling out loud, Lane, Lane, where are you? And what we did was so important Because I think this is the very thing that we can do with God when we feel abandoned, much like Lane felt that day. We went back to where we got off the escalator. We went back to where we left her, and we found her again. Now, I tell you that funny story, number one, because it's the only funny thing that really comes in today's message, but... I tell you that story to say, Lane still remembers, even though she's grown up over the past seven to eight years, and a lot of other life circumstances have happened to her, I'd sort of hoped that she would repress that one, and, you know, after years of therapy, when she gets older, she can, you know, work through the fact that her parents abandoned her, but clearly it is still at the forefront of her thought process if she is telling some young man yesterday in the middle of Concord Meals, yes! My parents left me in the middle of Times Square uh, in Christmas season. We feel abandoned. When we feel abandoned, we feel like there's no hope. Now, I want Lane to get over that, you see, because I don't like the fact that I did it. But that that deep-rooted sense of fear that came with that abandonment is the same thing that I believe you and I feel When we are sitting in a doctor's office and the doctor says, you have cancer. I think in those moments, in those those quiet moments, or someone that we love has cancer, in those moments that follow that, that shattering news, I don't think we're human. If we don't say, God, where are you? God, when are you going to show up? And then in the days that follow, as we start going through this trial in our lives, as we start living through the suffering, at some point, I do think, unless we are absolutely self-actualized, we come to this place in our journey that we just scream out, God, no, I did not sign on for this. This is not what I pictured my life to be like, God, no, this is not acceptable to me at all. I want you to take a look at a quote by a Christian author, William Temple. If you have a false idea of God, the more religious you are, the worse it is for you. 
It were better for you to be an atheist than to have this false idea of God because guess what? When we have false ideas of God, they do not hold up. When we find this time of being abandoned, And I promise you, if you haven't felt like that before, someone that you know has. Someone that's lost a child long before they should have. I always, I I just struggle to do celebration of life services when parents bury their children. I don't care if their children are 10, 20, or 50. It's not supposed to be that way, right? Aren't we supposed to celebrate the life of our parents and and not the other way around? There's always something tragic about that time. So it is in those, those seasons of abandonment that we will all feel that if we do not have a concrete idea of what it means, of what God is, of what this divine is, then, I, then it's so easy to just bail on the whole thing. And say, God, this doesn't make any sense, so therefore, there must not be a God. I want you to take a look at this clip. It is a funny clip by, in the movie Bruce Almighty, when Jim Carrey is sort of living out what I think many of us feel like in our faith journeys. Take a few seconds and, and watch this clip. Well, thank God you're all right. God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! Bruce, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hands or two in the bush. I have no bird. I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. Oh, I see. So, so God is picking on you? Is that what you're saying? No, he's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. Oh, that's great, Sam. But you missed your target. I'm over here! Don't get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. No, it's God's fault. I gave him the wrong coordinates. All right, you know what? Enough. All right, will you just stop being such a martyr? I am not being a martyr. I'm a victim. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. All right, sweetheart, I know that you're mad. It's completely understandable. What Evan did is slimy and wrong. But this day could have been so much worse. I'm just glad you're okay. Okay? Newsflash! I'm not okay. I'm not okay with a mediocre job. I'm not okay with a mediocre apartment. I'm not okay with a mediocre life! Do we feel like that sometimes? That we're not okay? You know, so many times in life, we feel like we have to have it all together. We feel like it needs to, you know, fit in this box and have a nice pretty bow on it. And then when that box starts falling apart and these pieces of our lives don't fit inside anymore with a nice neat bow, we we feel like that, you know, it's not okay. Well, I really believe that it is in those moments that it does not feel okay, that it is okay to cry out to God and say, God, this, this this is not okay. 
There are four different ways of looking at the idea of God and human suffering. I have those up on the screen. I want you to take a look at those. The first one, now you, we all come to a place, and I'm working this out in this week's devotions, so I'll go into a little more detail there. But usually human beings land on one of these points. The first one is that there is no suffering and there is no God. There's just nothing. It's, it is what it is. There's no happy. There's no sadness. There's no suffering. There's no evil, nor is there a God. The second one is there is no suffering, but there is God. I wish, I, I can't even wrap my head around that one because clearly there's suffering in this world. Like I told you a few seconds ago, uh, four ch- uh, children die every four seconds from starvation somewhere in this world. A child dies every four seconds. That's why our partnership with Third Creek and the Backpack Food and the partnership we have with the kids at Acres of Hope in Nebi, Uganda is so important. Every four seconds, a child dies in this earth or on this earth. How can there be a God? How can there be a good God when these tiny children die and they've not done anything yet to screw up their lives? Yet they are suffering and they are dying. So I don't understand the fact that there is no suffering and there is a God or isn't a God, but those are two lines of thought. Then the next two, there is suffering, but there is no God. And in today's society in America, this is where a lot of people are landing. That, you know, this life, we're just here to exist, and then we die, and that's it. Because how could there be a God? How could there be a good God when all this, this crap and this junk keeps happening in life? So surely there isn't one. Or the fourth line of thought, and and again, this is what seminary classes, whole seminary classes are built around, is these last two statements. The final one being, there is suffering, but there also is a God. And that's what we're going to continue to flesh out today. And then next week, we're going to ask the question, why? And then, thank goodness, it is Easter, and we will have some happy, happy sermons again. So how is there suffering and how is there God? If you look in Genesis, and this is, again, one of the devotions for this week, but if you look in Genesis, and remember that the story of Genesis is not a literal day-by-day account of how the world, the universe, was created. It is a metaphor, or I believe, forgive me, I believe that it is a metaphorical story of how God created the universe. I do believe that there is God, and I do believe that God created the universe, but I do believe that God and science go together just like this. It fits. I do not understand it. I'm not smart enough to understand it, but enough that I know and I read, I do believe that there can be a marriage between God and creation. If you look at the original translation of the words Adam and Eve, in the beginning God created Adam and Eve, the word Adam, Adam means humankind. It does not mean 
that one man and one woman came, and from those two people, the rest of the earth is populated. For 15, 20 years, that never made sense to me because I thought God literally created a man and a woman, and unless the two sons, you know, had relationships with their mother, where did the rest of the people come from? I mean, she didn't have any daughters. That was what I grew up with. That theology makes no sense. So therefore, you have to look deeper. So if you look back to the original Hebrew text and you understand that the word Adam means humankind, then look at the whole story as a beautiful, beautiful picture of what this divine energy and presence and love has created. We don't have to understand it literally to know that the universe is so much bigger than anything we can imagine and that something good, something divine, something that is pure and absolute love that we can't even begin to fathom with our human brains exists. And so in Genesis, after you read on day one, day two, day three, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, then God creates humanity. And it says in Genesis that God created humanity to have dominion over all that walk the earth. Do you know what it means to have dominion over something? It means to rule over something, to have power over something. So there's that free will. God gave humanity choice, choices. And we live into, and we also live out of those choices. How many of you know someone that lives in the state of Oklahoma? Will you clap? Anybody? A few of you. All right, in Time Magazine this week, there is an article about the seismic activity that has increased exponentially in the last few years in Oklahoma. Think back to the earthquake that happened in Haiti. After that earthquake, people were saying things that I've considered a little crazy. You know, well, God made that earthquake happen to wipe out the voodoo that was going there. People said that about Hugo in New Orleans, that God made the, earth, uh, the hurricane come to wipe out all the sin that was existing there on Bourbon Street. People call things like that acts of God. Earthquakes are acts of God. This article in Time Magazine is fascinating because it talks about the fact that, you know, seven years ago in Oklahoma, the seismic activity, the frequency of earthquakes would be equal to that that we feel in North Carolina. It averages about one a year. Do you know now they have several hundred every year? Some places have more than uh, 10 in a day. Why is that? Is that an act of God? God's mad at the state of Oklahoma, so he's just going to zap it? You laugh at that, and, and yeah, I guess that sounds a little funny, but I need us, and I'm saying me too, but I need us to understand that sounds crazy and bizarre. You know, God zapping Oklahoma because he's mad. I mean, nobody's done anything bad in Oklahoma. Well, yeah, they have, but anyway. Oklahoma is not inherently an evil state. So God's not sitting up in heaven saying, you know what, I'm so done with you people. Bam, there's an earthquake. We laugh at that because it seems silly and bizarre. But 
We will sit in hospital rooms where people that we love have just tragically died, or we will sit across from a loved one when they get the diagnosis that they did not want to hear, and we say to them, and if you have done this, it's okay. We're all on a journey, and we're all learning. I've said this too. This is part of God's plan. If anything, if anything comes out of today's message in my rambling, walk away and just say next time, you know what, I'm sorry, and this bites, but I know that there's a God that is love, and I know that that God and that love holds it all together. How do we know that? In the scriptures, over and over and over again. I mean, what a beautiful book that gives us stories of people crying out all the time, God, no! Dude, this is not what I signed up for. Remember Moses? He led the people out of slavery, and then they were starving. I mean, he was angry at God. God, what did you do? You led me out here for this? If you look in the book of Psalms, I invite you just during some spare time that you may have, just sit and read the Psalms. They each tell a story about a relationship with God. Some are written by the author of King David, and some are attributed to other authors. The one I'm going to read to you today is Asfa. That's the author of Psalm 77. Listen to his words of anguish. It's in here. Lots of people have felt the same way that you and I do, and their stories made it into this this book that's been canonized and passed down over the thousands of years. So if they could do it, we can too. Listen to these words in Psalm 77. I yell out to my God. I yell out with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. He listens. I found myself in trouble, and I went looking For my Lord, my life was an open wound that would not heal. Just like that movie clip we saw a few minutes ago. My life was an open wound. Do you ever feel like that? Do you feel like every time you turn around, some other stuff is happening and you just keep getting cut off at the knees and you can't get back on your feet before something else knocks you down again? My life was an open wound that would not heal. When friends said, everything's going to turn out all right, I didn't believe a word. I remember God. I shake my head, I bow my head, and then I wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what is bothering me. I go over these past days one by one, and I ponder them all night long. And I wonder, how do I get my life together? Is God just going to walk off and leave us for good? Will God never smile again? Is God's love worn threadbare? Has God's salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has God angrily stalked off and just left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business just the moment that I need him. So that's really sort of the the point of today's message, that at some point, it's a happy one, right? You'll leave really uplifted. Uh, That at some point, that's how we feel. It's just my luck. This divine being, this divine God has gone out of business. 
My life is an open wound? I want you to take a look at this quote by Thomas Merton. The best way to pray is to just stop and let prayer pray within you whether you know it or not. This means a deep awareness of our true inner amenity. It implies something I can't read. It implies a life of faith, but also of doubt. You can't have faith without doubt. Faith will grow out of doubt, the real doubt. We don't pray right just because we evade doubt. That last sentence is perhaps the most important in all that, other than the first is to just stop. Just stop. Just cry out, no. And then just stop. Don't try to explain it away. Because I do believe that in that quiet, in that stopping, in that stillness, God works. God works and God holds it together. And we don't have to feel like our faith is falling apart or that we don't have any or that we don't believe in God just because we're doubting. How can a good God exist and all this stuff happen? Now, I do believe in the power of prayer and I do believe that there is a, a mystical some divinity, energy, love that is at work in this world, but I don't believe that God is a magic genie God. And if we rub the lamp just the right way, or if we live the right way, then we get our prayers answered and other people don't. Last Sunday, I shared with you that after I answered my call to ordained ministry and Scott was willing to pack up his you know, life at Appalachian where he was teaching, and I was a instructional technology facilitator, which should frighten us all, we were going to pack it all up and move to Duke. I I was accepted. I was a finalist for a scholarship, and I was going to go to seminary three years full-time, and we were expecting our firstborn. We had willingly committed to give everything in our lives to God. We went on the tour, met with the dean, blah, blah, blah. And the next day I went for my normal routine doctor's appointment. And the doctor said, hmm, you do not seem to have, uh, the baby does not seem to have a stomach. We're going to have to do some further testing. It rocked my entire world. Now, over this past week, and several of you caught Scott after the service last week and said, well, she didn't tell us the rest of the story. Usually it's just because I forget and I lose my train of thought, but last week that was intentional. I actually wasn't ever going to finish the story because I didn't think it was relevant, but you have asked, you've asked me, well, what happened? Did the baby die? No, that's not what happened. That baby was Andrew, and he eats more than one stomach can humanly uh, contain. He was home over spring break. We spent more on groceries than we have in a long time, and we're happy to do so. He's happy. He's healthy. Why didn't I tell you that story? Because I have friends that their babies have been born dead, and they knew it before they went into labor. They knew that they were going to have to go into labor and deliver a deceased baby. I have friends that are doctors that have to sit sit across from people and say, you know, I'm sorry, but this isn't going to be what you had hoped. I didn't tell you that story because, you know what, For, for my life it worked out good. It doesn't always. 
But here's what I know. There's some other crappy things that have happened in my life that I won't bore you with right now, but even in the deepest, darkest, crappiest moments, there's God. I believe it with all my heart. And if you want to feel it, cry out no. Tell God that you are not going to settle for this, that this is not good enough for you. And I promise that divine presence and energy and love, it works. Even if the circumstances don't seem to change, we change. God works in us. And brightness and goodness comes. I invite you to enter into a time of prayer as I read the last part of this psalm. Once again, God, I'm going to go over what you have done. I'm going to lay out on the table the ancient wonders of your works. I'm going to ponder, God, all the things that you have accomplished, and I'm going to give a long, loving look at your acts that have happened throughout my life. Oh, God, your way is holy. No God is great like God. You're the God who who moves in things and makes them happen, and you've showed everyone what you can do. You've pulled your people out of the worst kind of trouble. Gracious God, whoever in here or with us online this morning is dealing with just deep darkness and it feels like there is no way out and we feel abandoned in the middle of circumstances that we can't see the way out. God, I just ask that you pour out on those people in those situations peace and strength, and persistence, and fortitude, because God, you are real, and those things exist. We reject circumstances that are beyond our control, and we ask that you fill us with something new, for you are a good, good God, and we love you. It is in those moments of crying out, no, 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 that when we finally have exhausted that screaming out no to God, That in those quiet moments, when we don't have anything else that we can scream or say, a peace meets us and then takes us beyond that place of screaming no to saying why. And that's what we'll look at next week. May you go in peace and know that there is a goodness and a love that works in and through all things, no matter how bad they are. The worst things are never the last things. Amen.